a length of time that he should speak or when he should finish uh, or anything like that. So uh, Corky's over here rubbing his head like, oh, no. Um, but thank you for uh, allowing me the, the uh, privilege and the honor to share with you this morning to open God's word. I don't take that lightly. Uh, it is indeed a, an honor uh, to do so. And I especially appreciate the fact that it's the first day of the new year and it's a Sunday. And uh, celebrating uh, with you this new year is indeed a privilege. And uh, it's uh, as I would have wanted it to be, to be with family on New Year's Day and the Lord's family at that. Thank you. Um, As you know, Cookie and I have spent the last 30 or so years, uh, we're losing track, so we'll just leave it at 30, um, and uh, doing missions and being missionaries, living overseas many of those years and now here in the States, but continuing to work in an overseas role, as well as starting a new venture, which is also a missions venture called Restoration Farm, but you already know all this, um, but it, is, it does serve as a bit, as a, as a, bit of a backdrop uh, for what I'm going to share with you uh, this morning. Um, the question I would like to ask you to consider is why? Why did we, why do we, why should we be involved in missions? What about missions is so important that we should continue to raise up young people, raise up old people like myself, and, and have that as a central part of what we do? Why is it that people from this fellowship are now in Guatemala? What is so important, after all, about missions? And I'd like to look at God's word, but before we do... Um, I'll just ask you to join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together, as I said, with family this morning, this new day, this new month, and this new year. Father God, we're grateful for all that you have for us, all that you will uh, work through us, and for your love, Lord God, that you've given us for your word, for one another. And for the people around us, Father, I pray a blessing on your word today that it might go forth in such a way that would bring fruit that remains. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My text this morning is from Revelation, and I'll uh, read it now. It's a couple of verses that are uh, familiar to Some of us, myself and others, and I'm sure you as a good Bible-believing church have read this perhaps many times. But Revelation 5.9 and Revelation 7.9, 9 reads, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest 
to our God, to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And going to 7-9, very similar. It's easy for me to remember 5-9-7-9. And after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. As I said, I've been involved in missions for a long time. Cookie and I have uh, served overseas with Muslims. In fact, when first went to the field, uh, I had this crazy idea that I would actually start churches amongst former Muslims who would somehow or another want to serve and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, I, I, back in those days, there was pre-internet, pre, most people thought a Muslim was a white cheesecloth. And, um, uh, well, I'm glad it got a laugh anyway, you know. Um, but we went, and I endeavored to do everything I could do to learn the language, to persevere, to recruit new members, and so forth and so on. And so I led a team into a pioneering situation and did all these these things. Uh, but there was still something nagging in my own heart of hearts, in my own soul, that wasn't quite enough. And I found myself almost perpetually wanting to do more, feeling I had to do more, feeling compelled that there, there must be something else that needs doing. Um, and this, this went on and on and on. And... Uh, I worked hard, led our team, as I said, into a pioneering situation. But I thought missions was a strategic necessity. I thought missions was there for one reason, and that was because they, other people, other countries, persons in other countries, didn't know about Jesus. And I was dead wrong. I had made an idol out of something that was so spiritually intense, so I thought, that I had, I had made missions an idol. And I had uh, come to realize that, uh, wow, I've really missed the mark here. Uh, X number of years, not only as a Christianary, Christianary, not only as a Christian, but also as a missionary. And, that, and yet I, I, I had missed something that was absolutely fundamental about my own purpose for being a missionary. Why I was doing this. And it wasn't until someone handed me a book uh, titled Let the Nations Be Glad by a young man named John Piper, young at the time. Uh, and uh, uh, I read that book on a flight somewhere. I don't know where to or where from. But there I was in 13C, and I read that book, and I started weeping because the Lord used that book and the material that Piper put together to convict me of my short-sightedness on who God really is and why he has a purpose in this world, why I was called to do what I was called to do, why you're called to do what you're called to do. And I'll read you from the book here. Before I get carried away, quoting from Piper, 
Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate and not man. And that's in the first chapter of this book. I don't think I made it through the first chapter. Of course, people were were changing their seats all around me and, and moving to other parts of the plane. Here this grown man uh, was, was uh, crying, just kind of like Sam Moss would do, I'm sure. But um, that's for not volunteering to preach. Um, but anyway... Uh, it, it was it was serious. It was deeply personal and very serious to me that I had uh, created this idol, as it were, out of something that was so, so spiritual. And it's easy enough to do when it's a black and white thing. Like if you if someone were to bring home over here and say, here, here's this carved thing. Let's worship it. None of us would do that. But for me, it was something that was a deeply spiritual thing that I had actually created my own idol out of this thing called missions. Uh, I was motivated by the need, by the need of that part of humanity. Fair enough. They do need Jesus. They are going to a Christless eternity without him. No question. But. I wasn't really motivated by a love for God and a passion for worship. And it was something that really arrested my thinking. And when I say worship, I'm not talking about the worship that we do often here. Well, every Sunday uh, and uh, led by Shane and others, as wonderful as that is. And I love it. I enjoy it. And it is something that uh, I, I find myself at times just really missing when I'm on the road. But this is something qualitatively different, this type of worship that I'm talking about here. And again, referring uh, to Piper, Piper calls it a white hot worship. I love that expression, white hot worship. We have a new wood stove over at the farmhouse over across the road. And uh, uh, I know I've got the temperature just about right. When, uh, as I open the little lever, the little hook on the inside is white hot. Now, you don't want to touch that thing, you know. That would be a bad thing. But that's what white hot means. I mean, of course, we know that conceptually. But uh, Piper calls this kind of worship that we're after and that we should be about as white hot worship. Again, from Piper, all history, all of history is moving toward one great goal one great goal the white hot worship of god and his son among all the peoples of the earth missions is not that goal it is the means and for that reason it is the second greatest human activity in the world worship is the greatest human activity in the world that which we do And I, as one, take for granted Uh, that which we are calling other people to here in Nottoway County, in Mazari Sharif, northern Afghanistan, wherever you happen to be, that which we're calling people to is actually 
the highest calling that you can have, and that is worship. Missions exist. Why? For one reason, because worship doesn't. We, we have a team right now in Guatemala. Why? Because worship doesn't exist where they're at, who they're, with whom they're working. And it's that kind of passion for worshipers that Jesus has sent us into this world and why we still are here. Worship is the penultimate expression of the human heart. Someone had explained to me once what penultimate was, so I'll do the same for you. It's just basically even more gooder than ultimate. Uh, Penultimate, that's it. Worship is the penultimate expression of the human heart. Uh, I I go to certain default authors. A.W. Tozer is one of them. Piper's another. Uh, These guys can really write. Um, There are several others. But uh, Tozer says about how central worship is to our faith. He says, we are saved to worship God. Period. We are saved to worship God. All that Christ has done for us in the past and all that he is doing now leads us to this one end. Is the worship of God. What is worship then? Again, is it simply coming here once a week? If we have relegated worship to just that, then whoa, are we really missing something? Whoa, woe unto us as a people, as a church, as a body. If we relegate worship to simply that which we do as a corporate body here. And so I've been asking myself um, as I volunteered uh, to uh, preach this sermon. I asked the Lord uh, to give me something to preach on. And so then I was going to my default things. And um, and every time I sat down to try and put my thoughts down on in writing, the word worship kept coming back over and over and over. And I said, okay, okay, I'll do something on worship. And so what what is worship? What is worship? Interestingly enough, worship is not defined in 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 Scripture. It's not something that says, okay, if you do this in this way at this time and so forth and so on, this is what worship is. It's it's not spelled out that clearly in Scripture. And interestingly, it is also very spelled out in the other religions and the other faiths, Islam and and uh, other major world faiths have it very, very spelled out. You have to do it a certain way at a certain time in a certain posture, so forth and so on. But in our faith, in the word of God, it's not clear. But there are some essential elements to uh, to what worship should have as a as a part of what the experience should be for us. And again, I'm not simply talking about whether we lift our hands or fall prostrate on the floor or uh, whatever. But I'm talking about an attitude of this white hot worship that God is calling each one of us to. Worship, simply put, is an expression of heartfelt praise or thanksgiving by word or by deed. 
That's what worship is. Worship can be an expression of heartfelt praise or thanksgiving by word or by deed. It's an outward expression of an inward decision. It is a heartfelt response to the living God. That's what worship is. There are, uh, as I said, certain elements of, uh, of worship described in Scripture. Uh, I don't want to suggest that, that these three that I'm going to share with you this morning are the limit uh, or that that's all and, you know, we can close it up and package it and that's it. Uh, there are likely more. But I, I would like to suggest at least these are essential elements of what I'll call Christ-honoring worship. Christ-honoring worship. To me, that's, that's the essence of what white-hot worship is, is Christ-honoring worship. The first element is that we, uh, uh, that is essentially Christ-honoring worship, is that we worship God and God alone. Now, that's a kind of a no-brainer for this uh, fellowship. Uh, again, uh, it's, it's not something I'm going to pull the wool over your eyes and say, uh, okay, I have this little idol here. Let's, uh, let's all start bowing down to that. That's not likely going to happen to this body, thankfully. Um, but in Scripture, over and over and over again, we're, we're given examples of how people were deceived. And, and uh, it's important for us to keep in mind that even though the obvious things might not trip us up, sometimes the not so obvious things can be the things that trip us up, particularly as they are heavily um, put forward by culture. The force of culture is a powerful thing. It is a very powerful thing. In Scripture... Uh, worship, we see evidence of worship to God, to Christ, worship of man, worship of the dragon in Revelation, of the beast, uh, worship of demons, and worship of idols. These things are all there for us to see and be so warned in Scripture. And again, you know, uh, these things are relatively easy to see when they're in that kind of uh, stark reality, as it were. But they're harder to see when they're subtle forms of culture or when we've gotten kind of used to it, like the frog in the kettle. Uh, we've heard that expression before, I hope, uh, where you don't, you know, you don't uh, throw a frog into a scalding kettle to, to cook it. You, anyway. Um, uh, or else it'll jump out. But if you uh, bring the water up to boil slowly, the frog will stay in there. Uh, worship of anything other than worship of the one true God is sin. Now, our society, even in the church today, uh, we don't often use the S word. Uh, and uh, but I'll use it. Uh, it is sin for us to worship anything other than God through Christ our Lord. Uh, this is clearly stated, as we know, uh, once again, in the by 
the Ten Commandments, uh, God made it very clear that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that which is in earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. This is this is clear. Idols, of course, are it's kind of a broad term and it can include many things, excuse me, and not just carved images. In our 21st century sophisticated uh, minds and lifestyle and culture, uh, idols can take on a whole nother meaning. Um, For example, if someone were to come in here and tell us that we should worship the cross and not just glory in it, I hope that we would stop and say, no, we're not supposed to worship the cross. We we take uh, we have a lot of respect for the cross. But it, it is not something to be worshipped. 21st century Christians ought to examine what potential idols there may be in their lives, in my life. We might worship our careers, our position, our security. I might worship uh, something other than what I should be worshiping vis-a-vis, with regard to uh, uh, even a spiritual career. Elements of missions, the adventure of it, the, the, the difficulty, the front lines and the cutting edge elements of it. That could all be a heady experience. And it was uh, for me. And I found myself guilty of worshiping that as an idol. Sports figures. Pop culture figures in, in and, and the most obvious money or the love of money. Now, that comes in a lot of different forms. Uh, it, 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 you see the love of money uh, becoming an idol. Often when we see that or we think we see it, we see it in people that have money, but it can also be. Um, an idol for those who don't have money, who need money, can make getting that uh, a matter of worship. And uh, think it not strange, it, it, it has happened to me. Uh, and and um, yeah, I'm guilty as charged. Even future pensions and things like I know people um, who have taken jobs and work jobs for X number of years, X number of decades for one reason, and that's just to get that pension. And um, I, I have it, it begs the question for me, is that simply uh, another form of idol worship? Now, I know I commenced to meddling now, um, but... Um, Again, we we look at this in the New Testament, this thing called idol worship, and we are uh, uh, Jesus. Paul has done an excellent job of preaching about the um, temptations of uh, Jesus in the wilderness. And uh, we, we read again, the devil took him to a very high place, a high mountain and showed him Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. 
And he said to him, all these I will give you. Then Jesus said to him, no, excuse me, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So all Satan really wanted was to be worshipped. You know, it, it could, that's all he really wanted. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And that was the it. That was the end of that discussion. Jesus uh, basically quoting from uh, the previous verse that I had read in Exodus. The second element essential in Christ honoring worship uh, is that worship should only be uh, done or can only be done if one is in right relationship with God. You have to worship the right things, or in, in our case, the, the, the Lord God of the universe, the, in the right way. And the first thing we have to be sure of is that we are in right relationship with God. People who don't know God can't rightly worship him. There has to be this mediator between God and man in place before there can be this White hot worship, as it were. We have to have that in place. And um, as soon as we are surrendered, and as soon as that is in place, we are rightly aligned, as it were, and thus are able to revere the one who is solely responsible for getting us into that proper alignment. Now, I don't like chiropractors. Uh, and uh, I've gone to a few uh, years ago, but I won't go anymore, I hope. Um, uh, but uh, there's something about being in right alignment. And you can't really worship the God of the universe unless you're in that right alignment. And that's the second essential quality or essential element, as it were, of Christ honoring worship is we have to be properly aligned with the God of the universe. And we only do that through a right relationship through Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, A good example of this is seen in David's wonderful prayer of uh, repentance in Psalm 51. Here David is pouring out his heart before God after being exposed as a sinner. He cites a couple of things. He, David, cites a couple of things that are important for us to consider if we want to approach God in Christ-honoring worship. He describes this characteristic as having, uh, the characteristic of having a contrite heart. Oh, Lord, open my eyes and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, Lord, you will not despise. Worshiping God Almighty. Worshiping God Almighty in a right relationship. These are essential elements 
of what it means to come before the throne of grace and worship. Even though David was a man after God's own heart, he he went astray. He had that right relationship. He lined things up correctly. He was worshiping the one true God, but he went astray. So that brings us to the third element, essential element of Christ honoring worship. And that is uh, be in right relationship with others. Now, you've heard about me share about this in the past. And it's very true that unless we're in right relationship with others, God would have us not even bother to come before him and worship. Reading from Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, a clearer picture can't possibly be laid out. Here we are in uh, first century synagogue. There are certain ways to do things. And Jesus is saying, forget about the ways to do things. It's an ad- there's, a, there's a heart issue here that you need to make sure is right before you go through these steps of offering worship in the tried and true way. You need to make sure that you're right if you think that your brother has something against you. Notice there that it's not that I have something against my brother. It's my brother has something against me. Well, we won't unpack that too much. Um, Once again, in that process of making sure that we are reconciled with our brother, that it takes a contrite heart, a broken spirit to go and say, brother, is there something that you're holding against me? Is there something that I'm holding against you? Let us be reconciled. And only until that is done, does God say, now go back and offer your sacrifice. Go back to the altar and continue with your worship of the one true God. So three things, knowing and being sure that what it is we're worshiping is, in fact, the one true God. Being in right relationship, aligned with God and being in right relationship with our fellow man, with others. Those are the those are three essential elements to Christ honoring worship. Now, as we look at this new year, I know what I'm really asking the Lord to bring me into a greater realization and a deeper understanding of what deepening worship is. I'm not sure what all that means for me personally. And I'm, of course, not sure what that might mean for NCF. But I'm asking the Lord to bring us into a deepening relationship with him, a deeper walk, a fundamentally at our very core, deeper day by day, moment by moment worship experience. And I think as as we move towards that from a deepened worship experience, I'm hopeful in my own heart that greater faith will arise. 
that greater things will be done for the Lord on the Lord's behalf, not because I'm wonderful or that I'm called or anything like that, but that because of one thing. Worthy is the lamb. Only only one thing matters is that he is, in fact, worthy. And that's my heart's desire is that I would indeed worship the Lord God because he is worthy. What is it that I need to still surrender? What is it that you that we need to surrender to God? God knows, of course, is there something you have allowed to harden your heart? Is there something I've allowed to harden my own heart? And what is it going to take to soften or to bring about that contrition that David so beautifully expressed and modeled for us in Psalm 51? In a few minutes, we're going to uh, come to the table and break bread and that, that is an act of worship. And uh, I would ask you to prayerfully seek out the Lord and ask him to reveal to you how it is that you can deepen your personal relationship with the one true God. Come in greater alignment and make whatever needs to be made right with the Lord and with others. God is at work in us and through us, and he's in work in us and through us as individuals, as well as a a body, as well as a corporate body. And I pray that God would be glorified in and through NCF as a body in 2017, even to a deeper and greater extent than has been in previous decades. Thank you for allowing me this pleasure and privilege. And I pray a blessing on you as brothers and sisters in Christ in 2017.